Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. I'm your host, Kurt Savig, and welcome to another edition of Paranormal Almanac. And on this edition, well, this edition, let's talk with someone I grew up with. But first, as always, we got shout-outs. That's right, patrons. We didn't get the ch- uh, chance to hang out. Oh, and I got a daiquiri, by the way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sipping, um, not gingerly, uh, you know, you got the pinky out, and I'm holding it in the proper glass. I'm going to be... Uh, properly drinking a daiquiri while I'm doing this one. But we didn't get a chance to hang out this Monday, patrons. Yesterday, that is. And that's because I was interviewing my guest for this week's episode. And I am so excited for you to hear this episode. But as always, we've got shout-outs. Don't worry, patrons. We'll hang out next week. We got shout-outs going out to Adam. That's right, Adam Morissette, a new patron. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Shout-outs to Karen. Oh, and Adam. Send me the, st- the go to T-Public. Adam, this is for you. Shh, everybody else, shut up, shut up, shut up. Talking to Adam. Adam, go to tpublic.com slash styles slash paranormal dash almanac. Choose the style of t-shirt you would like, the size and the color. And uh, obviously your address and all that fun stuff. And DM it to me in in Patreon. Don't, don't just put it out there in the public because then everybody will be sending you all like bootleg paranormal almanac crap. But uh, yeah, next month, you get the fun stuffs. All righty, shout-outs going out to Karen, Ethan, Sylvester, Duran, Duran again, because I like saying Duran, Duran, Nikki Loves James, Cobalt Slayer 42, Lori, Alicia, Rebecca Esteban, and Stephen Cher. Hey, howdy, hi. Jennifer, Heather G., your friendly neighborhood skinwalker, Zuzus, what's it? Nico, Cher, and the mouse. Hey, howdy, hi to them as well. Mark Tortuga, Mike from Jersey, Jay Bizzle, Andy, Tracy, Virginia, Tony, Jason, Vicky, Crow, Clay, Buzz, Lobito Works, Glacier Maine, Isabel, Jen Jen, Stacy, Amber, Tracy, Kelly Joe, Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Magic, Robot, Webcomic, Sandy, Paige, Couch, Bentman, 666, Andrew, Scott, Andrea, Melody, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Roger, Alicia, Becca, Jake, and the Beasties. Oh, sorry, Becca, shit. No, this is an important one. Charlotte, Becca, Jake, and the Beasties. Cannot forget Charlotte. They're the best. Elizabeth, Voidtech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Ricardo, Ian, Alexandra, George, Zozo the Demon. <laughs> Hayden, Cindy, Ashley, Carrie, Robin, Will, Lauren, Mangano, Russell, April, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, and Isaac, Cindy, Bob, Stacy, Paula, Jerry, Jeff T, Joe, Lawrence, the Lawrence Strawn. Hey, howdy, hi, Veronica, Autumn, J, Mark, Manning, Carolyn, Jade, Nanashi, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Dan, Laura Pitts, and Gamer Fan. Now, not just patrons, but since I was just talking about patrons, patrons, if you're in the Midwest or in Michigan, boy, howdy, do I have a guest for you guys. 
When you get done listening to this episode, you're going to be like, when and where? I need to see this gentleman, Kurt. And you know what? You're right. We also have two special shout-outs going out to Joe Teague and to my boy Stitch. All right, I'm really excited to get this episode, but as always, we got a crap ton of paranormal news, so let's get right on into it. There was this one night we were out in the field, and suddenly there was this incredibly bright light descending from the sky. Next thing we knew, we were in this big white room, and standing in front of me was this slimy two-legged creature with these wide lizard-like eyes across its face. See, I told you it was paranormal news. The first story in paranormal news, Marco Rubio says he's heard shocking first-hand accounts of UFOs. Many of the Senate's public hearings on UFOs of the past two years have been pretty boring events, full of terrestrial explanations for the many unidentified aerial phenomena that military aircraft have clocked over the U.S. airspace in recent decades. But Marco Rubio claims there's more information out there. That's right. We're talking about whistleblower David Grush. He's been talking about him for a while. Glad he came forward because it's making a lot of other people go forward, come forward, and that's what we need. We need everybody who's ever had an experience, witnessed anything, seen a UFO, worked in the military and saw, you know, EBEs, uh, dead alien bodies, basically. Uh, We need them to come forward. But Rubio says we're trying to gather as much of that information as we can, and frankly, a lot of them are very fearful of their jobs. Fearful of harm coming to them. Yeah, that is very true. Uh, Let's see. That's, oh, I guess that's it. All right, well, that's a great article. I mean, I agree with him, but just a touch on the short side of things. All righty, let's go into the next article in Paranormal News. UFO Hunter claims, I have definite evidence that we are not alone. That's right, a British man believes that new images of a flying alien object are among the growing evidence that we are not alone. He spotted the UFO in the clouds, pulled out a camera, and hit record. I don't care about any of that stuff. He says, I was completely gobsmacked by what I was seeing. It was unmistakably a flying saucer with two black rectangular windows on the dome portion of the craft and four black openings along the bottom part of its structure. Uh, He he figures it was traveling through the clouds at a speed of 1,600 kilometers per hour. I was so excited, I continued to monitor the area with hopes of sighting this incredible craft once again. Uh, This is absolutely genuine. The alien presence is real. We are not alone. And you might be thinking, well, Kurt, what's the photo look like? I mean, he's talking about taking a photo, and he says he's got definitive evidence. What's the photo look like, Kurt? Tell us the photo. There's no photo in that. I'm really disappointed. I didn't click onto it because I didn't want to look at the photo prior to, uh, to the episode, but... You know, if you've got definite evidence of a UFO and you're talking about, I've got a definite photo, like you're going to blow your minds. Show me the effing photo, please. Up next in paranormal news, an alien saucer, UFO hunter snaps eerie image of unidentified flying object, claims we're not alone. It's the same guy. British ufologist 
John Mooner. Now, I'm not saying a word about this article unless there's a flipping photo. Oh, you son of a bitch. You son of a... Two articles in a row. No photo. Boo. It's all right. I kind of want to get to the uh, to the guest anyway, so I'm just going to keep on... I'm pushing through, people. I'm pushing through. Up next in paranormal news, my dad was a famous alien abductee. I thought he was a joke. Now, I'm not so sure. I'm actually going to throw this one up on the uh, Paranormal Fan Page, uh, Paranormal Almanac Fan Page on Facebook, because it's a fairly long article. It's about uh, Patrick McGuire. Um, he, was, he talks about how he, you know, saw some cattle mutilations, and then he had, an, you know, an experience, basically. And then he died in 2009, and, you know, what happened to him? It's a fairly long article, though, but... The important part is that, you know, she doesn't know what to do now that she saw the headline, intelligence officials say U.S. has retrieved craft of non-human origin. So basically, it's her coming to grips with, you know, maybe my dad wasn't crazy or, uh, you know, a, a, a tinfoil hat wearer. Maybe he was true, you know, telling the truth and what really happened to him really happened to him. So I'll throw that up on the Facebook fan page because I want you guys to read it. It was really good. Up next in paranormal news, YDOT, that's W-Y-D-O-T, district, posts Bigfoot warning on social media. It seems every few summers, it seems that every summer, a few Yellowstone tourists are gored by bison. Yeah, yeah, it does. Stop messing with bison. Stop putting them in your cars, you idiots. But how about the danger posed by Bigfoot? We'll let you decide if Sasquatch poses a threat to humans in the cowboy state, Wyoming. Just in case YDOT District 5 in Northwest Wyoming is reposting a U.S. Forest Service warning from California on its Facebook page. And I believe it was Tracy, one of the paramaniacs, posted this on the uh, the fan page. The Bigfoot warning. Attention campers. Due to the increased flow in the Kern River, the Bigfoots are coming down from the high country to feed on fish and vegetation at the river's edge. Do not be alarmed if you have an encounter. Remain calm and follow these simple steps to stay safe. One, do not run from Bigfoot. Two, do not chase Bigfoot. Three, do not yell at Bigfoot. Four, do not feed Bigfoot. Eh, I don't know about that one. Five, do go about your business. Six, do take pictures. Kurt here. Seven, don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. It says that uh, Bigfoot will not enter an occupied camp. Bigfoot will not harm you. Once the encounter is finished, report it to the nearest ranger station. Please keep note of the location, time, and the direction the Bigfoot is traveling. The most, imp- the most recent encounters are between Fairview Campground and the Johnsondale Bridge. That is really cool. Um, alrighty, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going on. Next up in Paranormal News. Boy, it's a good daiquiri. You know what? While I got, while I got you here, while I got you here, you know... When you think of a daiquiri, you think of like, oh, I went to Chili's and I got a daiquiri and it was like some frozen smoothie bullshit thing. No, no. Here's what you need for a good daiquiri. You need one ounce white rum. I use Floridacana white rum. It's very good. You need a half ounce of lime juice and a half ounce of simple syrup. That's it. What you want to do is you want to pour all that into a mixer, fill it with ice, fill the mixer with ice, shake it up. Shake it up for a while till it's nice and frosty on the outside of the mixer. And then you're going to use a strainer, and you're going to double strain it. It's called double straining. You want to double strain it into like a champagne kind of glass. And damn, it's just the perfect summer drink. It really is. I can see why Ernest Hemingway just like 
chugged tons of alcohol. It's really tasty. So that's from me to you. That's a that's a bonus tip to this episode. But up next in paranormal news, Loch Ness tourists spots huge dark shape in water, sparking Nessie monster debate. Kurt here, not a monster. Not Ian O'Fadigan. No, this one is Etienne, Etienne, Et, 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 and Annie. I don't know. It's a weird name. Et, Etienne Camel. Sure. Etienne Camel was visiting the famous lake with his wife, Elian. Come on. You're just fucking with me now. When he spotted the odd shape while taking pictures. That's right. Uh, visiting the famous lake with his wife when he spotted the odd shape. Uh, he said... He's a French pharmacist from Lyon. He said, it was quite strange. I'm a man of science, so I never believed that the Loch Ness Monster is a prehistoric animal. But when I was taking the picture, I saw this long, long shadow. I called my wife over, and she saw the shadow move. I thought maybe it was a cloud, but there were none. Or a boat, but none was near, or reefs. All right, you're checking things off the list. There were small waves, like something that was moving. It was about 15 to 20 meters long, and it was about 150 meters away. It was quite strange, then it disappeared. We could not tell if it was an animal, but something was moving under the water. I've never seen such things in lakes, and we've been, we have, and we have many where we live before. Sure. All right. There you go. Nessie still making the grade. Ian O'Fadigan slipping, buddy. You got to get on there. You got to watch it some more. Find me more Nessie, and then come on the show and tell me all about it. Uh, next in paranormal news, you know I love them. When I see these, these stories pop up, I'm like, well, I got to add that to the next episode. Six real haunted homes for sale, ghosts included. That's right. More haunted real estate that Kurt can't afford that Kurt's going to be like, no, I want to live there. You can't, Kurt. You, you can't live there. The first one is the Penfield Reef Lighthouse in Connecticut for only $50,000. I want to live there. Uh, at almost 150 years old, Penfield Reef Lighthouse has been guiding ships safely into the Black Harbor into Bridgeport, Connecticut, since the administration of, UL, of Ulysses S. Grant. The little lighthouse, which is just a mile off the Connecticut coast, is still active today and is up for auction from late June 2023 with the U.S. General Service Administration with a starting bid of just 50000 There we go. See, I couldn't afford that. It hides a haunting secret. Not only does the price include the island, the lighthouse... And even the foghorn, oh, I'd have a lot of fun with that. But it also throws a ghost into the bargain. According to local lore, former White, former White House, former lighthouse keeper, Frederick A. Jordan still haunts the waves around the lighthouse, where he met his death shortly before Christmas in 1916 while attempting to row ashore to spend the holiday with his family. See, even back then, don't, don't go out of your way to spend your holidays with your family. You can have you can just go see your family in non-holiday times. All weird shit always happens. Like home alone, holidays, family. See? Don't do it. Uh yeah, it's cool looking. I gotta be honest. It's way cool looking and I really wanna own it and it would be rad, but I don't I can't afford it. So up next, the Ensign Mansion in New York. For only three hundred and forty nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars, you get four bedrooms, two bathrooms, and nine ghosts. I think I've talked about this one in the past. This late 19th century home in Troy, New York, has been a current has been in current owner Michelle Bell's family for six generations. Her great grandfather having made the initial purchase back in 1919. Today, the 3,092 square foot home could be yours for 350 grand. Um, dropped from 444. 444. I have talked about this, and it's got nine ghosts. 
Yep. It, yeah, I've talked about this one. So go back and listen to the old episode. So let me move on to the priestly home in Mississippi. $938,000. Um, let's see. Yep. I've talked about this one before, too. It's still available, apparently. The Derwid Mansion in Wales for $3.3 million American. That's a cool-looking house. Dates to roughly 1485. Wow, that's cool. Uh, 14 bedrooms, seven bath, seven reception rooms, four bathrooms, 12,758 square feet of living space, eight acres of land, and a ghost. And then we got the Colne Priory in Colchester, UK for $8.1 That's a proper-looking house. That's cool-looking. Um, built around 1825. A lot of ghosts in it. It's cool-looking. Very pretty. I can't afford it. Oh, it's got a freaking lake. Oh, I'd like to live there. 24 acres. Boy, that's pretty. The Urshal Castle. Urshal Castle in Fife, the UK. $9.2 million. It's got a ghost. Rather noble ghost, it says. Um, it's haunted by Sir William Bruce or one of his de- or one of his descendants, Andrew Bruce. Sure. That's cool. Uh, and that's it. That's their ghosts. So with that, yeah, screw it. With that, um, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yeah, you're a good girl. We are back and ah, the daiquiri's empty. So if you were getting sick of grossed out of me like drinking on on air, I'm not drinking anymore because the daiquiri's empty. I got to make another one. I get on this, but we're back. And on this edition, I'm not even blowing smoke up your butt, guys. I am very honored to have Michigan MUFON director and someone I went to high school with, Mr. Bill Konkoleski. Guys, I can't even tell you. That was that was gender. That was gendering. I'm sorry. Everyone, paramaniacs, I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am for you to hear this interview. Bill was way more than gracious with his time and his stories. And I can 100% say Bill has an open pass to come on my show anytime. I think we just barely scratched the surface. It was really, really fantastic to talk to Bill and and kind of, you know, it's because I went to high school with him, kind of flashed me back to the high school times. And that's cool. You know, I wasn't one of those people that hated high school. I had fun in high school. I don't like the classes. I never did. But the people, Bill, some of the people we talk about on here, yeah, it was a great, great time. So I'm very excited to throw this one in to me interviewing Bill. And I'll see you guys on the flip side. All righty. So I got to say, Bill, that if you would have asked me, if anybody else would have asked me who from your high school would talk more about UFOs than you, I would have said nobody. And then I find out, well, that's not true at all. I think (laughs) it's you. How did you come across? How did this come about? How did you get into UFOs? Well, I often say that uh, UFOs got into me before I got into them. (laughs) You had an experience, right? Many, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Stuff, uh, the stuff that was going like the the very peak time of my life of encounters was my high school experience. Actually, I, I so yeah. I saw that on it was you you talked about this on 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 a TV show, correct? 
Um, some TV shows, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was really surprised to find out because I always thought, like, in, in elementary, where did you go? Wait, where did you go elementary and junior high? Messmore Heritage. Okay, Stevenson. cool. So I was, I was, I was Schwarzkopf Davis. So in Schwarzkopf Davis, I was the only one in those, remember those like look book clubs or whatever, where you could go and you'd get points and you could buy like a cheesy little book. Oh yeah. I was the only one yeah. that bought like, you know, UFO books and Bigfoot books and Loch Ness books. Um, so I just assumed in high school, cause you know, you can't talk about that stuff. It wasn't cool to talk about it. I just assumed mm -hmm. that I was the only one that was into it. And it turns out that's not the case at all. You were not only into it, it was happening to you. Yeah. Yeah. My very first memory in life, age two, uh, was I was nighttime. I was in my crib. This little gray guy walks in my room, stares at me um, down into the crib. Um, I scream for my parents. My mom just says, go back to sleep. I was not yet even asleep. And then um, it walked out. And that was um, not just an early memory. It was my very first memory in life. Not wow. something that came back several years later, but something that burned into my memory the moment it happened. And age two, there mm -hmm. wasn't a ton of stuff on TV that we could have seen that would have, you know, exposed you to a gray alien. So what kind of what you know, like, what is the skeptical explanation for something like that? Trust me, I don't think there is one. But I just just for the skeptics who might be listening, how, how can someone explain away what you experienced? Yeah, it's it's yeah no you're I mean, that's exactly <laughs> I agree it. Yeah. I agree agree concur uh, no like mm -hmm. all right so so that was like your first one, mm -hmm. um and then when was the next one, four yeah the the next remembered one and I have a feeling that there were several that I probably don't remember um the, the little suckers seem to be good at uh, whitewashing people's memories, but uh, yeah and this one was during the daytime. It was two o'clock. My uh, four older brothers were at school. Um, I have I have four siblings, and they were all at school. My dad was at work. My mom was home. She was out digging weeds, and I decided I was going to take a nap. But uh, right when I crawled into the bed, I have wasn't even asleep yet. I felt this full body paralysis, and then it felt like somebody grabbed me by the chest and then yanked me actually out of body. Um, like somebody pulls a handkerchief out of a pocket. Wow. And and there's three gray guys. And they wanted to um, at the at the time it was confusing what was going on. In retrospect, it was pretty clear. Uh, they wanted to see how I could function outside of my body. And so they asked me to follow them out into the hall and everything had this dreamy sort of quality in that everything was like hyper vivid, but Physically, I didn't really feel like I had a body because really I didn't. And so I went out into the hallway and then they asked me to, I lived in a tri-level and they asked me to go down the stairs and um, to float down the stairs. And so I, I did, I went down and I landed in the TV room in sort of a falling leaf motion and they were all excited like hey you did it you know just telepathically very excited for me and what I did and I'm like oh I got to tell my mom and they're like oh no 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 this is this is just for us really um, you know? um and then I was like oh okay that's strange and so then um I felt a powerful tingling 
I was back in body, if you will. And then I got up and I looked over all over the house for the little guys. I couldn't find them. And then I decided to reproduce the experiment for myself. So I laid on the floor face first and crawled down the stairs face first into the TV room. And of course, it wasn't the same. And yeah, I, I, it took several years until I, I told my family and then I did. And the thing is, is that um, in my family, it runs on my mother's side of the family. Uh, my um, two oldest brothers, had, we could go toe to toe with a weird experience contest. And then the next two brothers between them, absolutely nothing, zero, not a single experience, which is weird in itself. Right? Yeah. So why, why them? Why were they not chosen, if you will? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the family discussions with them just sitting there watching everyone else, like, what the heck kind of family are we in? Uh, <laughs> pretty entertaining. But so when I was growing up, my parents had a rule for my oldest brothers who also had weird things is that to listen to me, you know, be supportive, but not share anything that had happened to them. And it wasn't oh. until I was in my early teens that they were given the green light to say some of the things that had happened to them. And, and I found out like, Oh wow, it's not just me. Um, now why and, did, why was that? Mm -hmm. Was it to protect you or was it to see if you had the same like what was the what was the reasoning behind that? Well, not to scare me. Um, they weren't sure what any of us really were going for. My dad himself, no experiences. My mother had some stuff, but I, I just didn't think they wanted me to just go all in on this and either be terrified or lose any sense of what it means to be a normal person. Sure. They wanted to provide a, as normal a childhood for me as possible. And then when I was ready to and grounded enough and, and mature enough to start hearing about these things, um, I could take it. And then I, I could hear what was happening to them. Um, Did you talk about this stuff with, with the, you know, classmates, anybody that you hung out with mm -hmm. in like junior high and high school? Really? What was the response yeah. back then? Because it would be very different than a response now, I would imagine. Yeah, I, you know, there's a modern, you know, corollary that I have, but I, and I know that I did something like this when I was younger, but I don't remember the specific examples. One is if I ever heard anybody talking about anything paranormal, I'd be like, oh, they're open to this sort of thing. Yeah. Maybe I can talk about it with them. Or I would say things like, oh, did you see Close Encounters? Or, you know, just when I, I, I see like the, the modern things, you know, often it's like, do you ever watch Ancient Aliens? Sure. And depending on the reason they don't like Ancient Aliens will tell me whether, <laughs> whether or not. No, it's a, it's a good show and I have friends on it. It's hey, fun. you know what? I've talked to them many a time. Uh, Giorgio mm -hmm. has been nothing but nice to me, so I, I, can't, I can't fault them. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just trying to sort of poke and find out what people think about it and then um, share. Some of my, when I was in elementary, I was sharing with the, the very local neighbor kids, and they remember what I was talking about at the time. In fact, the kid across the street was around when I had a, a strange experience, so he knows that. Well, that was going to be my question now. Did that affect, like, you know, sleepovers or, or people wanting to hang out with you? And if so, did anybody have any witness experience? Um, I don't think it 
I, I don't think it made people fear for being at my house or around me necessarily. Um, my seven-year-old experience when I was seven, um, that was the one that uh, my neighbor across the street had a bit part in. He was one grade behind us, and um, so he was six at the time. But rewinding to the beginning of the experience, if I may. Um, yeah, please. I was yeah. in bed one night, and this black sort of circle opened up over my head. And out of it dropped some sort of metal, like, cable that started whipping around really quick over my head and it seemed like it was sparking some sort of energy and then um, i felt like i was being sucked up and then i found myself in what i have referred to now as like a mud room on a ufo um, they bring you in they make sure you're clean you're not whatever um and um, not bringing any diseases on or anything weird like that. I, I definitely felt like this was sort of like in a little examination area. I was in some sort of dark black light in the room. And then I step into the next room and there's a little table in front of me. I'm like, oh, they're going to want me on this table. That's interesting. And there were three of them now in the room with me. And then for some reason, they all left and went out one of the doors. And I'm like, okay, they left me here alone. I'll go out the other door that's in this room. <laughs> and I did. And so I walked and I'm walking and I'm in this sort of roundish hallway, sort of sloping hallway. And I get to the end of the hallway and there's like a closet size space. And it's got some kind of weird machinery in it I don't understand. And so I decided to come walking back the direction I came. And I turned around and there the three of them are just sort of watching me like, Oh, okay. You walked off. Let's see where you go. Let's see what you do. What what could a seven year old do? Which is you know not much. And then they ushered me into the side room, and the guys that were following me um, were about three feet tall. And being that I saw in this room uh, that they brought me was about five feet tall, a couple feet taller. Still biologically very similar, just taller. And the beings and instead of me going on some bed like i thought i was going to go they had me sit in a chair which was very much like a dentist chair um and as i sat in the chair i felt magnetically attached to it oh interesting that, like there was no straps or anything i just felt attached to this chair and then so the 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 taller being which had a very doctor vibe to it um looked in my face and said be really good and you'll get to see the color blue I'm like color blue you know you think what what do kids get from the doctor stickers sucker. Yeah. and i get to see the color blue I'm okay i'm <laughs> like this whole thing is weird why should this not be weird this part of it not be weird so as i'm sitting there i feel this really sharp pain across my arm my uh, right bicep if you will and i look down and i see that there's a slice on my arm which is healing before my eyes. I'm looking down and I'm watching it heal. It's already cut. I don't know what cut it and I'm watching it heal. And I turn back around at the being like, you know, what the heck? And as I turn around, its eyes, his face was right in mine and his eyes turned this bright sort of siren cerulean blue. And it just pounded me with this sort of mesmerizing, tranquilizing feeling. And I, I passed out. Oh, wow. I woke up the next day in my bed uh, in a cold sweat, uh, as they say, but very true in this case. 
And it was morning, and I look over, and I see a scar on my arm that wasn't there the, the previous day. I asked my family about it. I'm like, do you somehow any of you have any story of how I got this? And they're all like, oh, that's strange. So I uh, later in the day, in the afternoon, um, playing in the backyard um, with the neighbor kid across the street. We were, I had two trees in the backyard that were semi-climbable, and we were climbing in them. And as we're doing that, this white mist rolls into the backyard. Um, and I thought it was a fire at first, uh, but when it got to us, it was more like a, a fog machine sort of smoke. Okay. Very cool and maybe a little ozone-y. And when uh, it got to encompass me, I saw there was a gray being inside of it, and it came up to me and it telepathically asked me, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I, I'm okay. And then it seemed satisfied. And then it kept going, and the cloud itself kept going. The whole cloud, um, about the size of the backyard, rolled into the neighbor's backyard and then kept going and then until it disappeared. And uh, my neighbor remembers the cloud. We, we both very clearly remember this really? mist rolling through the backyard. And, uh, you know, it was a warm day, and it just strangely this thing came through. He still remembers it. So he was at witness at least as much as that. He didn't see the little being inside. Oh, sure. Now, is it always, or can you tell, is it always the same beings, or is it just random gray aliens? Um, well, there's a couple things I, 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 I think you might be asking there. Um, yes. I don't know if it's, like, exactly the same three guys, like Larry, Moe, and Curly yes. coming every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I do feel it's from the same group. Sure. Uh, I know some people talk about um, they have a special bond with one or that's a exactly of them. where i was going with that yes and i i don't think that um i have that necessarily um if if it's the same ones coming every time and i'm just so dumb that i don't realize <laughs> it's, it's the exact same ones and i think oh, i don't know they all look you know something oh, cool like yeah, that come on <laughs> yeah um then 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 i then i don't know i never got a, a sort of a sense like Hey, it's me again, your old friend, so and so. All right, I was wondering because there are there are a lot of people that I talk to that have uh, repeated experiences, and they tend to calm the people by saying it's me again or hello again, like some form of you know it's me. Last time it wasn't bad, so it's me kind of a thing. Like calm down, it's the same kind of thing. That's why I was curious about that. Um, now, have you noticed any? Uh, or I just I'll just straight out ask uh, any implants? No. Okay. Now, have you noticed any adverse health effects from from this? Um, a strange one, I guess. Um, when I was four, um, my, when I was young, my parents told me that when I was four, I had um, some kind of kidney disease. Oh. And uh oh, did I lose you? What is happening? Whoa, what is happening? My white blood cell count. Whoa, and right now, your screen went black, then you popped on, and then I popped on your side, and my screen went black. I have never seen that happen. <laughs> no, I, I didn't see that. What the crap was that? 
Like it flipped us, and then you went, "Whoa! All right, this is gonna be a fun one." All right, so, uh, so I, I, last thing you said with that I could hear was the uh, rare kidney disease or rare kidney something. Yeah. So um, I, my parents said I had some sort of kidney disease. Gave me an unnaturally high white blood cell count, um, which I still have to this day. And so whenever uh, I they detect that with any sort of checkup or whatever the case might be. And they point that out. They, you know, I always say, Oh, when I was four, this kidney thing. And that's why I was told I have this. And they look in it. And apparently it's not in my medical records. Anybody I've ever told they've never seen it. Um, my father's passed away and my mother, um, her memory is not great. And, but, uh, it was probably right in my early twenties that, they, they seem to have forgotten about this when I would ask them. I'm like, what specifically did I have or do I have or what's going on? Do you, know, like, if, know. Do you know if the other brothers that had experiences, if they have a, white, a higher white blood count as well? That's a great question. Um, you know, what's funny is I've never asked them and one just passed away last year. Oh, that's true. I'm so, so sorry to hear that. Yeah. So the other one, maybe. The reason I don't, I didn't think to ask them um, is that the other part of it where I go to the bathroom more than most people, um, that wasn't true for them. That isn't true for them. Okay. So I thought that since the one thing, the other thing, and that they wouldn't have had that. No, that's a logical, that's a logical conclusion to make. Um, now, I have, I, I'll just ask, have you ever spoken with, uh, with Whitley Strieber? No, no, he's a, one of a very few people in this community um, that I have not. And in fact, it was his book. You know, I had my communion moment like so many people. Exactly. Do. And I've been on his website um, there. Uh, Je uh, Mike Clellan, pardon me, has had me on uh, his show, uh, done an interview with me, and that's hosted on Whitley's site, but I've never spoken directly with him. I was I was wondering if you know like it's kind of like comparing notes because it is very point for point similar uh, except for you know like if if you remove the thing that then Whitley got sick that kind of stuff but so there is something that seems to be across the board with abductees and how do you come to grips with this has happened to me and I have no control over it do I just accept it and, and is, or do you consider it like a special thing that's happened to you? Or do you consider it like just a thing that happens and it's kind of, a, you know, I don't have a choice, so it's just going to happen. How do you come to grips with it? Yeah. So, um, in 2002, I was on a show called the abduction diaries. It was, they, they put it on sci-fi right before, um, Steven Spielberg's miniseries taken and sort of to say, you know, here's a fictional thing, but look, there's real people too. And so one of the guys on the show, uh, Sandy Nichols, another experiencer, he asked me, um, oh. <clears throat> he's like, uh, he goes, you ever wish this never happened to you? And that's when it really gelled for me. I'm like, you know, I don't know if I would recognize myself without this. You know, it, it, it was my very earliest memory. It's been part of my life. It's, it is my identity. It's not just something that is part of what's happening to me. Um, I, I can't walk away from it. It won't yeah. walk away from me. Sure. Um, so it's it's part very deeply of my experience uh, in life. And so I certainly whenever something weird happens, I'm like not like, well, that's not um, 
you know, whenever something weird happens, I'll say it's not normal because I know it's weird. Yeah. But um, I, I just have learned to roll with it and realize that it's part of life. And the best thing that I found for it is to find other people who are also frequent flyers and uh, love and, it. Love and, it. and just make those connections. And then um, that that's what keeps me the grounded the best. Have you found a common denominator with all the people that you've spoken with, the frequent flyers, the, the experiencers, mm-hmm. if you will, that you said? Have you found a common denominator? Have you noticed something like a thread between you all? Um, not really. Um, and, and I, I, I think that, uh, okay. Okay. So some people say it's about the blood type. Now I'm a positive, so I'm not one of these negative blood types that okay. people talk about. Yep. Um, I, I have the bluish colored eyes, but, um, so I, I don't think that there's anything biologically similar. I don't, I haven't found traits that are spiritually similar you know, culturally, I can't find anything geographically. Yeah. Like intellectually, yeah. that's what I thought it was going to end up being. Honestly, like when I started to really look into it, I thought it was going to be IQ for whatever reason. I thought there was going to be a common denominator, whether it's like, an, you know, you excel in mathematics or something. And I can't find any common denominator. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. do you, do you consider yourself chosen? Because I've talked to a lot of people that have had experiences. Uh, that have been abductees, and they consider themselves chosen. They look at it, they kind of spin it towards the positive. Yeah, um, you know, if if I was asked, do I wish that this hadn't happened to me again, besides that part saying that it's been with me and that I wouldn't recognize myself, no, I I, I think I would want these experiences, even, even the ones that have been negative. Um, it really enriches life a great deal. Um, so there is something positive about this. There is something, um, that I feel, um, blessed, um, not being so, so spiritual a person, but to say blessed about this. Um, but, um, I don't feel that I was, you know, how do you target a two-year-old and say, oh, this one's got it, you know, amongst a group. Of, yeah. of, of toddlers. Um, you know, I, I don't think that I'm particularly uh, unique, novel, interesting in, in any way that would make me a better candidate than anyone else um, to be chosen. Um, whatever uh, methods they use to choose people, um, I'm not I'm not sure it's something that whoever is chosen would say, you know, you know, I am proud that I am chosen because that makes me cool because that must mean I'm a great person somehow. Well, I, I there do does think. seem to be that, that thing out there that goes around that there's there's a calling. There is a reason for this and eventually this reason will, will come to light and, and it kind of is like a calling, a chosen thing. Yeah, and I think where I am now and what I'm doing is, is, the ba- is based on I just can't let something go. <laughs> <laughs> which can which can be a negative trait, but in a case like this, uh, I'm like I'm taking on something, you know, I'm taking on the tiger here, like this big, you know, tremendous thing because you know I just can't like sit here and say, well, maybe I'll get taken tonight, maybe I won't, 
Well, that's you know, going to be my next thing is how often does this happen? Is it, can you set your clock to it? Is it like, oh, it's going to be August 4th. I know what that date means. It happened a lot to me when I was young and, you know, it, it, it you know, occasionally before age 10 in my teen years, quite a bit in the twenties, still a fair number of experiences. And then right around 2000, it took a, a big dive and it's been very infrequent at this point. Um, the things that have happened to me have been pretty heavy. Um, so it's infrequent, but the last time, was it October of last, not last year, the year before even was the last one, you know, where I had a, a really big experience and, um, you know, I, I don't particularly like to talk about the reason stuff. Um, there's a day that I will, but but anything that's sort of uh, in an earlier stage of my life. No, that's uh, totally fine. For me to talk about. Yeah, no, I never want to pressure anybody to talk about something. The only thing that I would ask is, did it happen during the pandemic? Um, It would have been, yeah. So, because that's one of the things like, you know, I get sent tons of stuff and, and someone had said, you know, it seems very interesting that since the pandemic, since COVID-19, there's been no time travel. There's been no Mandela effect. There's been no abductees. So, all right. So it is good to know that I can say, well, I've talked to somebody that I disagree with that statement. Um, so I guess the next thing is, you know, you go on with life, you're, you're, you meet a girl, you, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're starting a relationship. How quickly into a relationship do you say, oh, and by the way. Are you, are you asking because you know this story that I'm going to tell? <laughs> I'm sorry to ask point blank, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's a story. All right. So yeah, it, it's a very good point. Um, you want to find out fairly early that they're down with it because, um, you know, they could think if you tell them too quickly, they could think you're weird. Sure. If you wait too, too long, they're going to firsthand witness something and they're going to freak. And so you need to find out that they're going to be okay, that this happens around you. So I was in that sort of bind at one point, it was a summer of, uh, 95 and early actually technically early spring uh, of 1995 and this girl i was dating for a couple of months uh we decided to go um walking through um a park uh, as i say in it actually um i don't know if i've ever announced it anywhere it was camp tamarack oh so, really oh interesting yeah. so so um I had I had done the the camp counselor thing a few times at the tail end of high school and early college, and I really liked the place it, and I got to know it very well um, after so many visits there as camp counselor. So that's uh, so that's where it went. Wow, that's cool! And, I know the place now. Yeah, and so um, we were you know we spent the day walking around, and then she's like, "Oh, let's watch a sunset." And so we went up on this hill, watched the sunset, and it's like, oh, let's stargaze. And so we were stargazing, which uh, uh, turned into um, a smooching. And then um, we're laying on this blanket up on the hill. 
And then uh, there were frogs and some other noises around in the woods. And then all of a sudden, all the noises stopped. And then we heard, both of us very distinctly, footsteps coming up the hill on this wooded side of the hill that sounded like um, somebody walking, you know, a person. And we got up and we went to the middle of the hill and we're looking around nervously and then decided to make some small talk. And uh, she's like, oh, look, it's the Big Dipper. And I'm like, no, actually, that's the Little Dipper. And I talked to, started talking about my astronomy class that I had at Macomb Community College at the time. And then, um, then we were talking about the prices of textbooks. And then she uh, and I were like, okay. And we could start to hear the noises again. Went back and laid on the blanket again. And then all of a sudden, the noises stopped again. And then heard footsteps walking up the hill again. Now, this story is tricky to tell because, oddly, when we went back to the blanket, um, and I could primarily speak to my, for myself, though I, I, I assume it 100% had to be true with her as well, I had forgotten that we heard these footsteps a second before and went to the center of the hill. So this is, to my memory, the second time we heard the footsteps. And then we went to the center of the hill, and she says, oh, look, it's a little dipper. And I'm like, big dipper, and talk about classes and textbooks. Things seem to settle down. We go back to the blanket again. And um, I had, at this point, it got quiet again, heard footsteps coming up the hill again. And I had forgotten that we had done this twice already. I thought at that time, at that moment, at that very exact second, I thought this was the first time that we were doing this. So I went back up to the hill and, and we both, I mean, went back up to the center of the hill and I'm getting this terrible feeling of deja vu. And she says, oh, look, it's the little dipper. And then, boom, we were both paralyzed face to face standing on this hill. And yep, three little gray guys come up the hill and they seem to be ignoring me altogether. They're only interested in her. And they're looking her up and down, saying, "No, not her. Mm -mm. She's not the one. She's not good. She's not good for him." And you know, this is all telepathically. Yeah. And then they walk down the hill, and we get unstuck, and we both grabbed our stuff and ran out. Which, I, from where we were, it might have even been a mile <laughs> um, that we ran and got in the car, and we we're absolutely silent. And so I drive her, um, I go to drive her home. We're almost back. And uh, she says, um, can we, um, you know, I, I'm not ready to get dropped off yet. And so I'm like, okay, what can we do? And so I go to Meyer, um, the one on 16 in Van Dyke. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, go in and we walk in. It's open 24 hours. So we're just walking around, going up and down the aisles, just like looking at mops and you know, cans of corn and just very grounding ourselves in, in this, whatever you want to call it. And then we sat and they had a pet department at the time. So we sat and we watched the uh, hamsters for a little bit because uh, they were up and they were active. And then she's like, okay, I can go home now. So we get up and we go in the car. Um, I drop her off. And then the next day, no communication. The day after she calls and asks me to come over and so i go over there and she uh she calls it off and um 
we didn't really discuss it. We and I left, and we didn't discuss the event ever again. We, uh, we didn't to this really... day. To this day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I was, so I, I was going to be my question is is there has there been a cap around that where she's finally come forward with all the recent UFO news that we'll talk about in a second. So all right, so it's just nothing ever. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I know how to get in touch with her, I guess, um, but I, I never have. Um, well, that's a tough one to broach, mm-hmm. even after, what, 20 years or whatever. Um, have you ever, when you were when you were on a, on a, on a UFO, did you ever see any other people? Yes. Did you ever, have you ever recognized them since you are who you are? You're out there, you're doing conventions, you're doing, you know, on shows and stuff. You're, um, you're, you're, you're readily available, if you will, for the public. Have, has anybody ever contacted you that you went, oh God, I know that person. And if you don't want to answer it, you definitely don't have to. And I'll skip it and I'll move on to the next question. Just say next. Uh, pass. Skip. You got it. So <laughs> no, no, that's totally fine. I want I, I like I said before, this is this is a safe zone. So interesting. Excellent. All right. So then my next thing is, could you or have you ever said like, let's go see my buddy Keith? Or, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, chosen a friend of yours to see if they would then go to that person. And again, feel free to pass if you don't want to. Oh, do you mean like Instead of me going to the person, the the girl that had that experience, ask somebody else. That no, 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 no. Like, like, like when the UFO, when they when they come down to get you, have you ever uh-huh. thought like, you know, like, well, let's go see my friend Keith, or let's go pick up my friend oh. Keith. You know, like, like not to not to pick on Keith, but uh, that's you know, it's a real mm-hmm. person. That's not a made up name. But you know, like, like mm-hmm. what I'm saying is like, have you ever chosen to be like, well, maybe like. I want a friend that's involved in this and, and just to see if they will listen to you and say, all right, let's check him out. Let's see if he's part of this. Okay. So I, I, I'm not sure again, if this is um, you referring to nope. a specific thing that happened. Okay. Nope. So I can give you as much as this uh, and, and I'm not being coy here. I don't think there was anything further than this, but um, there is this. So going back to Straber and communion, <clears throat> when I read communion, I read it really fast. Like, As did I. Yeah. Page, 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 page. And then, um, in fact, I, I got so wrapped into it and it, w- it gripped me so much that at one point I'm in my bedroom. I was, it would have been 17. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. And, um, I, I kicked a blanket off my bed and I, I screamed and my parents came running in there and they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, this book is scary. <laughs> it is. It really is. That's a valid <laughs> response to that book. <laughs> so, but anyway, so um, when I got to the end of the book, um, it, it managed to put my experiences into a context. Um, here was somebody with, um, experiences so very similar to mine yeah and and describe so much that it just i'm like okay up until this point in my life i didn't know how to describe what was happening to me but now there's this and i can um you know there was betty and barney hill's story was out travis walton's story was out 
Um, some even say, oh, close encounters, whatever, you know. But um, the, you know, it wasn't until this that I'm like, yes, this, this is exactly it. And so at the end of the book, when it didn't give any answers, it just said, this weird thing is happening. It's a mystery. We don't know who they are, etc. I'm like, oh, that's not comforting. It made me frightened because it was a confirmation, excuse the pun, that there were experiences that I had that were real, that, yeah. that were, you know, this was a, a validation of it. So the for Christmas that year, so this was 87, and for Christmas um, of 88, I got Transformation, the second book, yep. which was sort of freshly released at that time. And unlike Communion that I read super quick, I read Transformation very very slowly. Me too. What's that about? <laughs> I was nervous um, that he was going to describe some sort of experience that like really hit home and I would never be able to sleep again or whatever. I was nervous about the validation at that point. In the first book, I was excited about it. Like, oh, validation, this is great, but it's scary. The second one is like, I don't know if I can handle any more validation. And That's interesting. So, so there, there was a point in the book where he says um, he's he was at home and he got this sort of telepathic download, come to the park. Mm-hmm. And so he does whatever in the book. So um, <clears throat> in his story, in his account that is covered in the book. So um, I'm like, oh, that's something that's never happened to me. You know, I, and right when I thought that, this thought dropped in my head, like externally pushed into my head that said, finish the book and we will prove to you that we exist. And I couldn't make this, I couldn't make this thought go away. It was very external. It was not self-generated. So I was um, um, then very concerned (laughs) to finish the book. And I read it even more slowly. And then, I got to the last chapter and I'm like, I'm not going to read this last chapter. And so I set the book aside and um, one night I had a dream, oddly enough, that I finished the last chapter of the book. So I woke up and it was a weekend and I I read that last chapter and it was very early in the morning, like nine something a.m. And then I'm like, oh, gosh, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen now? What's, you know, every, I was very nervous the whole day. And I'm like, I am not going to spend the night by myself. So I I sought out a couple friends, um, one whom you just mentioned and uh, (laughs) another one. So we're driving in, uh, in, in the book, it's Kyle, but I, I I don't think this is going to spoil too much, whatever. So anyway, so I'll, I'll just go with those names as I always have. So Kyle and Dave, for anyone who reads the book. They'll be able to, to get in sync with the story a little bit better. So um, Kyle and Don, I should say. And so we're, we pull up in front of another friend's house, and we're waiting for her to uh, to get off of work. It's February. It's about nine-something. It's dark out. We're in his uh, Kyle Chevette. And this blue ball of light, about the height of two telephone poles, does this sort of spiraling arc over the car and it's about the light is about the size of a car and it's a brilliant super blue light 
much like the eyes of that being when I was seven, kind of blue. And we both, we all three watch it go overhead and then disappear. And then a white ball of light comes and zigzags all over the entire sky and that disappears. And then a red ball of light appears in the sky, grows to the size of a full moon and then shrinks, which is very large. And uh, then we're all looking at each other like, now what do we do? And um, <clears throat> so Kyle's like, I don't know, maybe we should tell the police. And I'm like, we're high school seniors, right? Let's call the tell the police we saw UFO. And then Don's like, maybe we should tell Selfridge, Air National Guard Base. Like, okay, you're not going to tell the police, but you're going to tell the military. Okay. And so we didn't tell anybody. Um, I'm just going to jump ahead slightly and say that's how I got in touch with MUFON by telling them about this account and, and coming on board with them. But so that night I'm like, wow, this is this is what they were talking about. This demonstration with me and two other witnesses yeah. that is not clearly anything but but this. And it happened on the day I finished the book after the dream that said today's the day you finish a book after the message that said finish a book and we'll prove to you that we exist. So that was a trip, right? And there's a slight sequel. Just the next morning, I'm, I was reviewing the previous night. Like, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty clear. That's pretty telltale. And I'm like allowing myself to enter some doubt into this, just to play devil's advocate with myself. So I go into work. At the time, it was Burlington Coat Factory. I was in the men's department. And so... I go in and I see my coworker and I say, Hey, you'll never guess what I saw last night. She goes, Oh, did you see the UFO? And I was like, Oh, didn't expect that. What? Right? And then she said, the, the maintenance guy saw a UFO last night. And so I went and, and I asked him about it. And he said that he saw this blue ball of light zigzagging down his street the previous night. And so I go back to my coworker on the floor, on the sales floor, and she's crying. And I said, what's up? And she said, she goes, uh, she goes, whatever I, uh, people talk about UFOs, I get all worked up. She goes, because when I was little, uh, she goes, uh, she was in a car with her dad and her mom and her sister and herself down in Tennessee where she grew up. And they were going down some dirt road. And there was a whole flying saucer just parked there on the side of the road. And at night, and all lit up and everything. And the dad was slowing down and saying, oh, my gosh, take a look at that. And she said her mom and her sister and herself were all screaming, like, get out of here, get out of here. And the dad was all curious. And so then I guess he floored it, and then they took off. And she said it was a, a, a huge moment in her life, and it freaked out her entire family. And so I'm like, okay, all right, all right, I get message received. Man, you know. I hung out with the wrong people. I was hanging out with like Scott and Harley and all them. We didn't see UFOs. We tried to. We wanted to. Come on, man. No, that's you amazing. had the convertible. You should have. I right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, it, it's it's taken me back to to Sterling Heights, man. It really is. It's I'm loving this. All right, so that's actually a good segue. So you have now like made yourself part of this you part of you up part of like MUFON the state director how easy is it for you to tell if someone's telling the truth or not like there's some people that call in that mm -hmm. I'm just like in my head I'm like no but I'll let them say their piece because I want to hear it but you know like mm -hmm. I kind of have a 
pretty high BS meter. How's yours? Yeah, I, I would say it's it's fairly exceptional. And my, my friend John Tenney says, you know, he goes, two people come up and tell the same story. He goes, you could always, he goes, you could always tell which yeah. one of them is the one that's telling the truth, truth about this. And yeah, absolutely. Um, there are a bunch of things that I call yellow cards. And there's a, even a presentation that I give to sort of give the science to it, but it's mostly intuition. You can tell when somebody's been through the same thing that you have and, and not just ex- describing it. Sure. Um, and, but you, you know, there, there, there's some, some basic signs, but yeah, overall it's, it, it's, it, it's an intuitive thing where you can totally grok that the person is, is saying something authentic. Um, one of the things that I think is a funny tell is, um, Speaking of a uh, Streber, Ann Streber was uh, known to have had this quote: "If it ain't weird, I'm not buying it." And that's actually if a yeah. story, if the story makes too much sense, then 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 there's a sense of the the, the experiencer crafting a too much too good of a structure around it, uh, wanting the- to control it to drive it. That's really interesting. You say that. That's really smart because when I tell the first UFO story that I ever had, it's so batshit weird. And like, all right, well, so real quick, I was walking out of uh, Excalibur in Vegas. I look up and there is a ginormous triangular ship with circles, just like, you know, you picture now, if you, you know, the triangle UFOs. And I didn't freak out. And I looked up and went, whoa. And then people looked up and went, oh, and nobody was freaking out. It was very serene almost. And we just kind of watched it for a minute. And it was silent and it was moving slowly off the, the strip. And it just kind of went away. And then we just all went and went right into the next casino. And to this day, I don't understand why it was so serene, why we didn't freak out, why no one was screaming. Like, what the hell happened to me, I guess is what I'm saying. So I, I it it is weird. And it's almost too weird that... When I tell it, some people are going, well, that's bullshit. And other people go, oh, okay, yeah, I, I know that kind of an experience. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I don't, I don't like that. That's my UFO. It's a terrible UFO <laughs> story. Like I mean, I've seen, I've seen stuff <laughs> since then, but it's just a terrible mm-hmm. UFO story for, for a guy that's wanted nothing more than to be on a UFO. Oh, that's actually, that leads me into another question. Before we get off of it, I apologize. I said we're going to get off of it. Um, you, have you been in space? Not that I don't have any sort of spacey experiences. So you never looked um, down on Earth. You wouldn't wasn't aware that you were far, far away. Nothing like that. All right. No, no. that's I mean never never felt like I was on another planet. Um, I do, you know, I I do when my memories of being in a structure all tend to be disc shaped structures, or at least the architecture, the hallways, and things like that are which lends it to itself to the idea that it's a flying saucer. Sure. But I don't have any direct memories of getting on or off. Um, so I just find myself in a sort of a circular structure, and then I'm, I'm back again. Um, never looked out any windows or, or, or anything like that. I mean, I, it's possible I was brought several galaxies over, or yeah, who you knows? Know, maybe yeah. they just you know went as high as the cloud level beats me. Yeah. And what about like when when people would show like 
here are the symbols that I saw when I was on a UFO. Did those ever match up to what you saw? Um, no, not particularly. Um, yeah, I've seen such a variety. You know, it's all in that same sort of hieroglyphic yes. yeah. motif. And, uh, you know, there sure enough is this sort of triangular thing that I saw that's sort of almost bird-like in its symbolism. But, um, but yeah, yeah, nothing, um, you know, I've seen. It's, you know, I, I'm curious when uh, people talk about it, uh, but it's a topic that interests me, but I haven't encountered anything directly. Okay. Um, so you can't. The next time, if it happens to you again, you can't go like, go get Kurt instead. <laughs> I got to throw it out there because I want an experience. Uh, whether or not I would like it after the fact, because Whitley Strieber's book scared the bejesus out of me. Uh, like, absolutely terrified me to the point where a buddy of mine at the time was like, man, I think you have had an experience because I read the book and it's, you know, scary, but it ain't that scary. So, all right, just throw it I out have a friend. I have a friend who has an encounter from when she was a teenager. Um, she had a friend that kept saying, I want an experience. I want an experience. And at one time when he was over, I guess they came and he had an experience. And, um, and now she always says, don't ever wish for that. Right. Because uh, her, her, her buddy was never quite the same. Well, you know, that's like I said, it's a terrifying thing to kind of wish for. But, the, you know, there's a, there's a lot of my fans that say, you know, that's all I want. I just want to see X, Y, or Z, a ghost, a UFO, a demon. You know, they'll pick whatever mm -hmm. the topic is. All righty. So uh, can I ask you a question about Stanton Friedman? Ah, uh, yeah. What was he like off stage? Okay. <laughs> you know... We should really have a whole conversation that is it is not uh, recorded. Uh, I would love he that. Would, <laughs> he, um, he, he, he was a deeply personal guy, um, and um, he really was everybody's friend. He wasn't aloof. He really felt he he was there for the little guy, so to speak, and. Um, yeah, he remembered people's names, so whenever I would see him at a thing, you know, I'd be like, "Hey, Bill," I'd be like, "Hey, he remembers me," you know. But that's um, cool. And, and we had him speak for us at Henry Ford Community College one year, and I got to—I was his chauffeur, and you know, he's—he's he's just like he felt like a like uncle material, so to speak. Oh, that's what I wanted to hear. I really did. That one. Mm -hmm. That one. I, obviously, I never, I never met him. I didn't know him, but boy, that one hurt when he passed. It was him and Art Bell that just, that that they're ah, bummed me out. Um, I, I, I know that you've met her as well. I was lucky enough to hang out uh, at a bar with Linda Moulton Howe, and what a phenomenal experience that was. Like she is a fighter to the nth degree, and that's what I love about mm -hmm. this community. Is I when I first started doing this podcast years ago, I was really afraid that. I'm, I'm opening myself up to the kooks, to the wackos, to the crazies. And it really hasn't been that way. Everybody, like the mm -hmm. fans around the world have been phenomenal people. And then the people that are in the industry, for the most part, are really fantastic and really, like you said, like rooting for the underdog and supportive. Um, mm -hmm. What makes, do you have any idea of why this community is so close-knit or can be like like a family? Um. 
You know, for a long, the longest time, um, this was there was a lot of giggle factor around this. And so if you found somebody that was earnest, compassionate, um, into it, knowledgeable about the subject, you know, like all sort of niche um, hobbies, if you will, uh, it's a great thing to, to find other people that have had, you know, who are into the same things that, that you are. And this one, you know, this to me, this over the past uh, several decades has felt like a sort of a slow burn civil rights movement. Yeah, um, I like that. And, yeah. and, and, you know, as it grows in strength, people remember what it was like and people know what it's like now and people know it's a lot uh, easier to speak freely about it now and connect with other people now. And so there is a sense of history and growth just in the movement, you know, itself, there's been no, high-profile protests or anything weird like that. Um, but, you know, it, it, it continues to grow. And there's the sense of inevitability, now. I think, now that, at, at, you know, at some point, probably within our lifetime, at the speed of which things are going, um, you know, we'll, you know, it'll be very much out in the open. Well, check that question off our list. What do you think disclosure was going to look like? And did you think it would happen in our lifetime? So, uh, so kind of changing that up a little bit. If I was to ask you 10 years ago what you thought disclosure was going to look like, did you foresee kind of what we're seeing now or did you think it was going to be a one and done thing? Um, you know, when I first got into this in 93, people kept saying disclosure is imminent, disclosure is imminent. And you, you had these high profile people in the community saying, you know, oh, you know, it's the, the, the truth is going to come out. It's just right around the corner. It's just two months away. It's going to happen next year. Oh, my gosh, this president that just got elected, totally going to be the disclosure president. And then just, you know, watching it, all these false starts over and over again. You know, I, I, I start, started to wonder, I'm like, well, it seems like a real crapshoot. Like maybe somebody who gets elected is going to run their mouth. But it just didn't seem likely. Um, to me, the, the type of disclosure, it felt like something was going to happen that was undeniable, which would leave the power scrambling, sure. the power to be scrambling um, to say something about it. But now what I, what I see is that it seems to be sort of a slow drip um, sort of disclosure. And now, I, you know, it's easy to recognize it for what it is. And I think the biggest example of it is the, the videos that were released, you know, the sure. leaked or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Out over the Pacific, out over the Atlantic, not over any population centers, not even over the continental U.S., this was a test balloon, you know, this, gosh, the, the, the puns in this, <laughs> are, you know, but um, the, it was a chance for the government and the military to see how people reacted to any sort of UFO yeah. being even considered potentially anomalous. You know, it wasn't like over Salt Lake City or Chicago or something like that. It was like, okay, okay, we see what's going on, you know, people, how people feel about this. And then, you know, the Department of Defense, it you know, comes out and does the reports and they're underwhelming. And now NASA gets in the game and talks about um very uh, great approach for them. Great use for NASA. Sure enough. Sure. But I, I think it's just all this is slowly 
rolling out so that say maybe in about 10 years when um, there is something undeniable the the government and the military will say see we've been telling you about this for 10 years now not that you know not when people say you were hiding things they're like no we weren't look we got this group that you know we spent millions of dollars looking into this you know we've been completely open with you do you so think I it's think gonna be about 10 years out. then I don't know. I mean, this last month, holy cow. Right? I mean, look, June June 5th, intelligence officials say U.S. has retrieved craft of non-human origin. That mm-hmm. should have been the biggest news story of the decade, mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. a blip. And it's because, like, you know, it's like uh, a friend of mine last night, we were talking about it. She said, it's, oh, yeah, we're like, we're like the frogs in the... In, in the pot, slowly boiling, you know, where we don't know to jump out. So, and I was like, yeah, I, I, that's a good analogy or metaphor, whatever it is. Um, I can get behind that. Like, I really do think that that story alone should have shut up all of my friends that joke about my podcast and joke about me liking UFOs and aliens and ghosts and everything, because there's your proof. I mean, it's not even, it's not even ambiguous. Uh, U.S. is retrieved craft of non-human origin. That's pretty damn specific. But all right, so so given the timeline, if you think it's going to be ten years, hold on one second. Come on up, come on. There you go. Uh, <laughs> given the timeline, if you think it's going to be about ten years, um, do you think it's going to be one big story, or is just going to keep stacking? It's going to be Jengaing up all the yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. I think it'll be just like one punch landing after another. And so, yeah, so May 31st, yeah, NASA does its four-hour thing. And then one week later, you know, Dave Rush is like, hold my beer, you know. Right. And then he comes out with his thing. And then uh, and then about a week after his thing was Greer's recent uh, press conference with those witnesses. And then what gets all the uh, media attention is the Vegas thing where these yeah. guys say that the UFO crash in their backyard. And then certain parts of it were picked apart so that um you know it's not as likely and then people probably who don't want to face the subject will say well yeah people been talking about ufos recently but that story in vegas that was crazy so yeah there's nothing you're right they always pick the one tiktok video or the one whatever video and they go well this one turned out to be fake so then it must all be fake and it it's yeah. it you know obviously i'm sure it's just as frustrating for you as it is for me but i i'm very confident about it now, do have you ever been, and again, you can be as general or you can pass on this question as well. Have you ever been shown or told something that can't be public yet, but that you're like, oh man, when this finally gets out, it's going to be incredible? Uh, best answer is no. Okay. Um, people um, come up to me and allude that they were read into things, that uh, they've seen things, but... Um, I haven't able been able to verify it. They tend to be um, I, a, a bit coy about it and not want not want to follow up with it, but more just sort of uh, you know with a little grin on their face, like I know something, and then you can't get anything out of them. But uh, some people I know in this community um, get real good stuff. Um, I tend to operate at the grassroots level. So um, for anybody who possibly might not know MUFON uh, that is in your audience, it's a, you know, we take citizen UFO reports and we investigate them. Michigan gets over 200 a year. And so we're dealing with personal witnesses um, to their direct sightings 
a lot more than intrigues within the government or military um, where I, I spend most of my time. Interesting. Okay. You know, the only reason I say that is like, I've been lucky enough to have friends that, you know, speaking of that Tic Tac video you were talking about a little bit ago, that was, was in the military, was there when that Tic Tac video was recorded and told us about it, you know, while we're making proton packs at my buddy's shop, you know, it just in passing kind of a thing. And it was like, oh, I'll never talk good about it. And then I finally got him to be on one of my episodes as long as I, you know, never mention his name. And and he now has two people that were there as well that they might be on the podcast, knock on whatever. Oh, cool. um, so, like, it's neat to to see that from this side. Like, when you, like I say, when you open yourself up to this community, there's some bad, but there's mostly good. And it's that, that kind of good stuff that you're like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm kind of glad I did that. Now, when you open yourself up to MUFON, do you find mm -hmm. that it is, like, helpful to the people that you're you're not judging them, you're just listening to their story, you're investigating? Like, what kind of response do they get after they tell you what happened? Well, you know, in a good year, we can identify about 95% of what comes into us. Mm -hmm. I mean, a, an incredibly high number. Some people come to us um, because they want us to help them identify what they saw. Um, unfortunately, some people come to us because they want validation that what they have is evidence. And when we can say, you know, sorry, that was like a Chinese lantern or sky lantern. Sorry, that was a drone. Sorry, that was Starlink satellites, um, other aircraft, celestial objects, etc. Um you know, some people, that's not what they were looking for. They sure. wanted us to put some sort of stamp of approval on it, uh, on what they'd seen. And and sometimes uh, a per particularly difficult group within the set of witnesses is people who catch things on camera. Sometimes they don't see it. Actually, oftentimes they don't see it. They just have this thing, look, this picture, it's got to be, you know, a big deal. Yeah. And usually no. Um, so... But, you know, with 200 sightings a year at the state level, that means that with 95, uh, identifying 95%, that means we get at least 10 great sightings a year, every year. And those 10 and sightings, they've got to be, they got to keep you going. It's got to keep that momentum going for you to be like, wow, all right, that, that can't be explained. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that, and, and, and you know, it's a... No big secret, I guess, that a lot of people join MUFON and become investigators because they, too, have had sightings or oh, other yeah. types of encounters. And and some, you know, people will could argue, well, doesn't that sort of invalidate you as an investigator um, because you believe in this or whatever? And I, I say, well, you know, when you have this type of experience or and it can be a lot of different experiences under this umbrella that makes you a better investigator because you aren't going to automatically dismiss everything because True. you know something is happening but you're not necessarily going to to believe everything either it gives you a sort of a balance that somebody who's never had this type of experience um has now how do you move up the ranks in mufon is it just like a regular job where you just get a promotion or how does that work it's, you know, it's different all over the place, I guess, with all the different state chapters. In my case, I was in it for about 10 years when I was approached by the then state director prior to me. 
and asked if I wanted to do it. And I'm like, oh, that's a surprise. I, I never thought that, I, I mean, I eventually thought that I might be in this role if I stayed around long enough, but it was so early for me. And the thing about uh, UFO groups, um, and this could be changing, but historically it's been people who are retired that just don't care what people think about them. True. So there's a lot of seniors. And I was, you know, I was in my 30s being asked to, to run this group, and I'm like 20 years younger than most of the younger members of the group. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So I, I, I didn't, I said, uh, let me think about it. And then he asked me again. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, he asked me twice. I'm like, if he asked me a third time, I'll do it. And he did. And so I, I started it. And I'm like, you, you know, I've been able to manage it now. And so it's been 19 years since I've been the state director, which is a, at least a record in Michigan. Other states have had. Is that right? That's director. awesome, man. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Now, how has it been now that we're getting the flood of, like, like when I started the podcast, if I did Paranormal News, I might get one UFO story every few episodes. Now I could do a full episode of just paranormal news. That's just all me reading UFO stories. Is it, mm -hmm. what's that kind of floodgate been like within MUFON? Um, you mean, have we seen an increase in sightings and everything? Well, or... that or, or. You know, what's the internal talk like about the fact that there is this seem to be opening up a floodgate of whatever of UFOs? Like, what is it? What's it? What's it like on a daily basis? Uh, well, we get about one to two sightings in a, a week in terms of investigation, in terms of just the state of Michigan. But I, I have seen a tremendous uptick of curious people. They'll just email from out of the blue. Has anybody seen anything in Hazel Park ever? Or um, what did you think about Greer's new movie? Or there was uh, recently in Michigan, I don't know if you followed this one, um, a couple jet fighters. Mm -hmm. uh, and that has all the uh, earmarks of a training mission. And like, I can see that. you know, the, the they knew where the planes came from. They came from the Toledo area. Selfridge didn't have those particular jets on hand the training mission they were listed as going to have this training mission it wasn't like they were scrambled unexpectedly it was it was pre-listed that yes on this day these particular type of aircraft would be in this space at this time so if they saw something unusual it wasn't because you know something happened and they were brought there they were already sure. there and the way that they were reportedly kept shooting off, you know, this stuff and just um, these flares, it, it just really, the whole thing feels like a, a training mission. Now, what is that uh, unidentified thing? If it was something that was really witnessed, um, my guess is that it's just some sort of technology that the Air Force or whatever has that uh, people don't, uh, people aren't readily familiar with. Do you think there are hot spots though? Like, like you said, Michigan seems to be a hotbed of UFO activity and always seems to have been, it's bizarre. Um, but do you think there are specific hotspots? Like if, if my, you know, regular listener wants to go out and see a UFO, mm -hmm. where do you think they should go to see a UFO? Okay. So the thing that we always notice is that 
wherever there are more people, there are more sightings. So it isn't like some particular area where that's, that's unexpected. It's always just population centers. And, uh, you know, if you want to go sky fishing, you know, look for something, you know, go to a dark area in the state and, and look. But it's not like that necessarily increases your chances of being in an area where something might happen. I recall <clears throat> there was, uh, it was Uncovering Aliens was the show. And they asked um, if I thought that there was a UFO base under Lake Michigan. And I said, you know, people don't really talk about that uh, being a case. And they're like, can they, you know, they asked me to do them a favor, look back at the previous year and tell them how many UFO sightings were either on or near Lake Michigan. So I did. And I came back and I said four. And they're like, oh, my gosh totally got to be a base under Lake Michigan. And I said, okay, this was a record year for us. This was when Chinese lanterns were everywhere. It was like a huge fad. So I said, but anyway, so I said, we had 412 sightings last year. So just under 1% of our yeah. sighting were either on or along a body of water that borders literally half the state. <clears throat> And so I, I said, you know, if you want to actually look for a body of water uh, that might have a UFO based based upon a number of sightings, look under the Detroit River. <laughs> there were a lot more sightings in the Detroit area that year. So interesting. Like, you know, everybody says like, oh, well, if you want to go see him, go out into the desert and keep an eye. Sure, it's darker out in the desert. And I could get why if you have night vision goggles, you do see weird stuff. I was out there once with a buddy and we saw weird stuff when I put night vision goggles on. But, yeah, I... I've, I never know what to tell people when someone says, like, where should I go to see a UFO? I'm like, I don't know. Look up. I don't know what to tell you. Stop looking at your phone and look up. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I often say that um, people look up so infrequently and there's such light pollution nowadays that if the moon disappeared for a month, how many people would notice? Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> You're not kidding. Um, after all this, I always ask this question. Um, after all this time with your work, are you more a believer or less a believer? I think I know the answer, but I want to ask this. I always ask this to everybody that's on my show. I would say that I can't think of a time where I didn't know. Yeah. Well, that's the thing for you. Like, it's mm -hmm. it's not even a believer. It's just it is, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that's very simply. You have a very different, you know, a, a very different perspective than a lot of people. I consider myself myself a skeptical believer. 100% believe in UFOs, obviously. They're real. It's been, sh like, again, they, they the government's talking about them. Everybody's talking about them. But, like, you know, for me, I have to say that I'm a skeptical believer because I don't believe that every, no, I don't, nor do you, as you've already said, every UFO story is true. But, like, you know, so it's it's a different thing when you know you you you're you're calm in the fact that oh yeah it's real it's happened it's it's just it is mm -hmm. so so that gives you a, a different view than anybody else that's been on my show that I can think of like a hardcore 100%. So it's really neat for me to hey it's neat to me just to talk to you again. I think it was amazing that when you reached out I was like this is a this is incredible. Uh cuz again <laughs> I thought I was the <laughs> yeah. I was the only I thought I was the only one, man. Like back in the day, I thought I was the only nerd that was into this kind of stuff. And 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 I love the fact 
that that's not the case. You know, have you, know, you talked to uh, Holly Guevara? I was just gonna. That's so funny. I was yeah. just gonna say, and you know, mm-hmm. and it's not just UFOs. We got Holly too. She's supposed to be mm-hmm. on the show sometime. She's hard to pin down, but like, um, so that's actually a good segue. So UFOs, yep, hundred percent real. What is your thought on the rest of the paranormal? <laughs> that's fun. Okay. Well, all right. So. I have this story. A friend of mine who was uh, an experiencer um, actually performed my wedding ceremony, and uh, he came down with cancer not long after that, and um, he ended up uh, passing from it. He spent uh, a time in a coma before he ultimately passed, um, sadly. This was back in the early 2000s. Oh, no. And, And so I'm in bed one night. And we're all waiting for David to pass. Uh, David Kaywood was the guy's name. Oh, oh, I thought and, it was going to be Dave Bennell for a second. I was like, oh, my God. That's just talking about him. Okay, interesting. Okay. Oh, okay. And obviously, Bennell has passed. I think 2014 yeah. was him. But So anyway, so uh, I'm in my bed, and um, I'm awoke, awakened in the middle of the night. And there's this shaft of very bright light at the foot of my bed. And in the and I can tell it's David. And he says to me, he says, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And whatever kills you makes you stronger. And he had a very distinct voice. It was, he had a, like a beautiful, rich baritone voice and it was totally his voice. And then the light just and disappeared. And so I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, David passed and he was kind enough to, to pay a visit. So the next day, I'm talking to a mutual friend of ours, Landy. It turns out David passed the following day after I'd had my sighting of him. So, And she had said that she had some weird thing happen as well. So we were all of the belief that he knew that he was on his way out, and he was just sort of doing a farewell to her. Yeah, doing the rounds. Yeah. Friends. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, I for me, that was firsthand, absolute, you know, um, uh, proof to me that uh that uh, of uh, of spirits um the, the broader topic of it uh, I, I maybe not well versed enough to to say which particular events or haunts are are, are more valid than others but i i know that uh we continue to exist after death uh, just simply based upon uh, david's visit um for the um cryptid community um you know i had a lot of people that are into UFOs are also into other subjects like ghosts and and Bigfoot. And this one friend of mine, uh, Joe Stewart, uh, a very hardcore squatcher, um, he, um, yeah, he has, you know, the prints to go along with it, the great stories to go along with it. And oh, yeah. I completely believe him. I remember people, you know, bad Bigfoot TV has been around for a while. And like bad UFO TV, like sure. bad ghost TV, sure. um, some productions better than others. And so people at this one experiencer get together we had in Michigan um, were lamenting about how bad Bigfoot TV was. And then Joe says, he goes, let me put something together for you guys. And at our next meeting, he walks in. And at the time it was VHS. He pops in this VHS tape of stuff he'd filmed. And it was just mind blowing. Like one like forty five minute video was better than anything I'd ever seen before or since, including little mysterious dark things moving around. And 
and it was just it was just stunning i'm like oh my gosh this is like the best bigfoot evidence i've ever seen i want to see it where was where's this at um i joe probably has a uh, maybe upgraded to putting stuff on dvd <laughs> he's a very super interesting guy he's into everything oh i'll have to i'll have to bug you to to put me in touch with them because i'd like i you know i like to talk to interesting guys um so that that's actually a good segue again you're you're very good at the segue and the questions for me um why haven't you been more on tv you know i don't um seek out more than i can handle um you know i'm a parent of two young kids i have a full-time job um i have other interests and um i i still do maybe about roughly until 2019, I was getting about 30 appearances, mostly within the state a year, and um, at conferences, at libraries, and other things like that. COVID, the the floor dropped out of that. Yeah. But now this year, I'm back about to that number again, and, and I think it's a fairly healthy number. I mean, the the biggest TV thing that I did recently was Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. Wait, really? I watched that. How did I miss you? Oh, that bums me out. Oh, so the uh, something in the sky episode mm-hmm. in season three, talking about the West Michigan uh, sighting from 1994. Yeah. So well, I'm, I'm watch it. Yeah. So I, I was part of the much more than just being somebody who appeared on it. I, I helped put the show together and um, I, I talked for like two, three minutes in the middle and maybe one or two minutes at the end of it. That's awesome, um, man. But, I love that. But I was very deep into it. And because of that, it, that's what got me on to uh, uh, Coast to Coast a couple times after that. Yeah, that's when I, when I found out that you had done Coast to Coast, it, 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 it made me very happy. Because, again, like, that, you know, like that's just awesome. I, 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 I root, uh, you know, I root for, for, for friends and, and, and classmates, apparently. They love it. Um, so that actually – I got a lot of fans that are in Michigan and they like the fact that, you know, local boy talking about all this paranormal stuff on a podcast. Um, so I will definitely promote all of your appearances because I want my fans to come out and see you. So that, that, Oh God. Yeah. Are you kidding? Like this has been, and I apologize. I said it was going to be about an hour and we've gone way past that as my fault. Um, I won't, I won't keep you much longer. I'm sure you have an actual life to get back to. You are a very busy man, but before I let you go, I want you Mm -hmm. to be able to tell people where they can find you, how they can find your stuff, because I want to give you the chance to, to, to tell the world where they should find you, because I want people to find your stuff. Sure. Um, I am a very easy target online. Um, I can be found through MUFON.com's website. Um, the Michigan MUFON website, which is M-I-M-U-F-O-N.org. Um, my personal website, which doesn't really have a whole lot of, on it, but it's experiencer.me, experiencer.me. And then uh, I have a Facebook page. The The best way to keep up with stuff that I'm doing somewhat currently is probably the Facebook page. All right, you heard it there, and I'll make sure I put a link in for everybody. And Ken, where can people buy your stuff? Where can people buy anything from you? My uh, books, uh, Experience, my first book, Experiencer, Race in Two Worlds, and second book, Experiencer 2, Two Worlds Collide, are both available um, through Amazon, Walmart, Barnes & Noble. Excellent. 
Excellent. Well, uh, before I before I let you go, and honestly, I cannot thank you enough for doing this. This was this was far and beyond what I was hoping for. I was just hoping to just catch up with you and just talk about the stuff in the news, and and you made it that much better. And I cannot thank you enough, Bill. I don't know. I don't know how to. I don't know how to end this. I'm just. I'm so excited that I get a chance to catch up with you. And like I said, it brought me back to Michigan, which I always love. So, um, thanks, man. What do you What do you want to put out there for people? Like, where do, if people want to join Mufon, if people want to tell their stories, um, you know, like from your expertise to these people, because I'm sure there's going to be a billion questions once this episode's come out, and then I'm going to have to come back to you and be like, everybody wants to know X, Y, and Z. But what do you <laughs> think that people should know? Um, I don't know. It's real. <laughs> I, we answer. talked about so much over the last hour. Um, I, I don't know how much more I could in, introduce. Um, if you see a UFO, there's no better place to report it than MUFON. If you want to become a UFO, a field investigator yourself, no better place than MUFON to do that. Um, uh, in Michigan, we meet several times a year. In fact, we just had a Skywatch uh, two days ago. Um, and so we, uh, we have a big conference. Where, where did you guys in, meet up? Um, it's Manly Bennett Park in Brighton. Oh, okay, cool. And then in September, uh, it's like the last full weekend in September. I think it's the 23rd, 24th, but, um, we have a big conference, uh, that we partner with a, another group and it's all, um, UFO experiencer based. It's, uh, MI uh ufocon.com to find out about the the contact conference and the michigan paracon up in sault st marie um which happens in august is, is at the end of august is always a huge deal and i'll be there for that it's on the same weekend as um mufon's big convention the symposium in cincinnati so a lot going on that weekend i wanted to go to that the, the michigan paracon that is um and who knows? Maybe next year I'll I'll bug them to put to put me on the the the, the con. I want to do. That's the thing. Like I, I was leaning away from it for the longest time, and now I'm kind of leaning towards like, why aren't I doing these cons? Like I really should be instead of just going to them. Why aren't I doing them? And so, uh, you know, like it kind of I kind of dipped my toe in it this year, and now I'm like, yeah, I do want to do more of this. I, I like I said, it's a great community to be part of. Well, Bill, thank you, thank you so. Much. See? Seriously, how great was that interview? Sure, I knew some of the stuff beforehand, but even I was floored with his experiences. And, you know, Midwest, Michigan, paramaniacs. I, I said it at the beginning, but I got to say it at the end of this episode, too. I'm talking to you right now. Any chance that you can go to see Bill live, do it. And when you do, make sure you tell them Kurt sent you. I'm not even kidding. Like, I know, like, some people say that, and you're like, well, I'm not going to say that. They don't know. No, no, no. Please be like, hey, I heard you on Paranormal Almanac. Kurt says hi. 100%. Like, I would love that. Now, everybody else, if you if you can't afford to travel to see him, I get that. Not everybody can. But if you get a chance to see Bill live, do it. If you can't, like, I mean... I can't even, like, buy his books. Seriously, buy his books. He is one of the most genuine article. He, in my opinion, is the best representation of not only MUFON, but of experiencers. Think about what he went through his entire life. And he came, he, 
I guess he's not out of it, but he came out of it. He came, he respected it, and he's got a phenomenal outlook on not only his experiences, but on life itself. So honestly, go to Amazon, everybody, and, and, and I'm talking to me too right now. On Friday, when I get paid, I'm going to Amazon and I'm buying two books, Experiencer Raised in Two Worlds and Experiencer 2, Two Worlds Collide. And I know you're going to say, like, how do you spell his name? It's William Konkoleski, and that's K-O-N. Wait, where is it? I know I got it somewhere written down here. Here we go. K-O-N-K-O-L-E-S-K-Y. I'm also going to put the links to both books on the Facebook fan page. And, I, and I'm not kidding. Friday, when I get paid, I'm buying both these books. I can't wait to, to dive into them. I've, I've heard some of the stories. I've seen them on TV. You know, I do my research when I do these episodes, but I can't wait to buy these books and have them as part of my collection because, again, best representation of experiencers and MUFON that I can think of. Um, right up there in the experiencers with, like, Whitley Strieber. Now, some people, yeah, I love Whitley. Other people, not so much. I Whitley Strieber's communion really changed me, and you you just heard me talk to him a little bit about, you know, Bill a little bit about it. But it really did. Like, what an incredible book, a detailed book. I can't even imagine, because that book scared the crap out of me. I can't even imagine reading that book and going, yeah, that's what's happening to me. Honestly, absolutely incredible. Bill, once again, you have an open invitation, open pass to come on this show anytime, even if it's just to be like, hey, I want to come on and tell you guys where I'm going to be at Michigan Paracon or whatever it is. Yeah. Open invitation. Thank you so much to Bill Konkoleski. Um, what did you guys think of his of his uh, interview, of the interview? Not, not me. I don't care what you think about me, but what did you think about Bill's stories? Incredible, right? Can you imagine that being your first memory? Can you imagine, like, having a memory from that? I don't remember stuff before, like, seven. I don't know what's going on. Maybe I was abducted and it was just, they just wiped everything. I don't have memories before, like, seven. But how, can you imagine that being your first memories and going through your entire life dealing with that or not dealing with it and just experiencing that, having it happen to you? Thank you again, Bill. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac, a very special edition. Nam, what are we in the